You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. Matthew chapter 16 is where we will be this evening, if you will please join with me in turning there. Matthew chapter 16, and tonight we've come to the 24th verse, and we will read to verse 26. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's ask our God's blessing on our time in His Word tonight. Lord, thank You again for the privilege we have and the joy we have of singing our praises to You and giving thanks for our Savior. We come tonight, Lord, to Your Word, uh, people who are in need of the food of Your Word. We always are, and we're always more needy than we realize. So Lord, we ask for Your blessing tonight, not in accordance with what we deserve, not even in accordance with our own sense of expectation, but in accordance with Your love for us and Your knowledge of our need. Would you correct us where we need it? Would you encourage us where we need it? Would you prepare us through it all? For whatever life you give to us on this side of eternity, let this contribute, Lord, to the ongoing work of sanctification in each of our lives. We will be careful to give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has spoken to His disciples about what is coming in Jerusalem. He has spoken to His disciples about His death. And Peter's response to that information, to that truth, clearly indicates that he did not expect Jesus to die. The disciples did not expect Jesus to die. They didn't understand what was coming what the next verses reveal is that it's not just Jesus who must die. Everyone who follows Jesus must die. Now, of course, it's not the same kind of death. Christ died to save us. Our death, the believer's death, is experienced as the Lord saves us. Christ's death and resurrection saves us. Our death does not save us. But the death that Jesus talks about on the part of the believer is necessary to our being saved and will always be present when someone is saved. There is no effort, there is no suffering, there is no martyrdom on the part of the sinner that could ever atone for our sins. There's no suffering, there's no effort, there's no martyrdom on the part of the sinner that could ever make us worthy. Not only not save us, but not even make us worthy of what Christ has done to save us. Salvation is entirely a matter of grace. 
Christ died to answer for our sins and to save us from the wrath of God. His righteousness answers for the poverty of our lives before God. We are now clothed in His own righteousness and therefore stand completely accepted before God in Him. This is the wonder and the joy and the reality of the gracious salvation that God has given to us in His Son. Philippians 3.8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There it is, God granting to those whom He saves the righteousness that we need, the forgiveness that we need, and the righteousness that we need, the righteousness of His own Son, and we receive it by faith. So when Christ talks about dying to live, when He talks about the death that the believer experiences, it's not something that earns salvation. Nor should we think about what He's describing always in the terms of martyrdom. When He says we must lose our life, this this is not to say that everyone who follows Jesus will die as a martyr. In fact, the believer's death is supremely on display in the way the believer lives The dying is on display in our living. This is the great paradox of salvation, isn't it? That as the believer dies to receive Christ, we live. And even in our living, that that ongoing progressive sanctification, we experience there's an ongoing dying, as it were, to experience the life that we know in Jesus. But what our death does speak of is perception. Anyone who experiences what Jesus describes in verses 24 through 26, it's because of grace. God has opened the eyes. God has enlightened the heart. The choice to lose one's life, to have the life of Christ, is a choice that's explained by the grace of God alone. It is the result of regeneration. If you're willing to take up your cross or if you're unwilling to take up your cross, either way, it reveals what you're able to see or not see. Is the gospel true? Is it really true? Is Christ really the only Savior? I mean, the only way to be saved. Is a Savior really needed? Or can you save yourself? Were we all born into spiritual death so that we need a new life, an altogether new life? Or will the one we began with do just fine? What is it worth to know Jesus? What is it worth to follow Jesus? What does the world have to offer us in comparison with Christ's kingdom? What do we think is worth living for? The momentary pleasures of sin or the pleasures that the Bible says are found at God's right hand forever. Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy 
at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have your eyes been opened? What is your soul worth? What are you willing to sell your soul for? You see, that's what these verses call us to consider tonight. What is your soul worth? What are you willing to sell your soul for? And as you contemplate that, what you consider at the same time is the supreme worth of Christ and the promise of life that is stationed in Him. We'll look at these verses tonight under four headings. I'll mention them as we come to them. The first one is this. Notice with me the desire that is under consideration. There's a desire being considered. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, here's the offer, here's the desire. If anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone desires to come after me, what he means by that, of course, is, do you desire to be his disciple? Do you desire to know him? Do you desire to walk with him? Do you desire to follow in his steps? Do you desire to be one of his servants? Is that really your desire? And right away you also see that what he's talking about is not some higher level of discipleship. This is not something that only an elite few really think about and consider. This is something that stands at the beginning point of discipleship for anyone and everyone who would ever follow Jesus. If anyone wishes to come after me. So this isn't a call to a higher level of discipleship. This is a call to genuine discipleship. Do you really want to know Jesus? Do you really want to belong to Him? Do you really want to follow Him? Learn from Him? Be taken hold of by Him? If anyone wishes for this. And then what he goes on to describe in our verses actually will test that desire, that professed desire. You know this, more people say they want to follow Jesus than really want to follow Jesus. More people will claim to be His disciples than are really His disciples. So before we go any further into the verses, I think this is a good place for us just to pause for a moment and consider where we register in light of this statement. Do you wish to follow Jesus? Do you wish to be one of His disciples? By the way, Mark 8 makes clear, as does Matthew's account, that Jesus is addressing this to crowds. That's where Mark 8 comes into play. He's addressing this to the crowds that are there, but His disciples are especially focused upon. So this is a great question, not only for the man out there to whom we're sharing the gospel, right, to ask that man or woman, this is something to be considered in the church. This is something to be considered among professing disciples. You have the name. You're identified as one of His. But do you really want to follow Him? What is your heart's answer to that? Because what we're about to see will distinguish between mere words and a heart-level devotion. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is, what? Far from me. 
So it's possible to honor Jesus with your lips, but your heart be far from God. This is the desire that's being considered. Is this your desire? Do you wish to come after Him? Second thing we see is the requirement necessary to fulfill the desire. If anyone wishes to come after me, then here is what is required. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right away you meet with an imperative verb. Let him deny himself. That is, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Jesus. This is a demand. This is a requirement. This is not optional. This is something foreign to many gospel presentations we've heard in our lifetime. It would somehow hold out the promise that you can receive Jesus as your Savior, but refuse Him as your Lord. Christ's person cannot be, will not be divided. To receive Jesus is to receive Him as He is. And He is not just a Savior. He is the Lord. If you want Jesus to save you, then you're going to give Him your life. He demands it. He requires it. He'll accept nothing less. So that what He's calling for in this imperative is a decision. Now, as I said earlier, and I'm going to reemphasize, it's not a decision that that men will ever make or, or can morally make by nature. Right, we have a moral problem. We have a sin problem. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Could a man follow Jesus? Could a woman follow Jesus if he or she wanted to? Yes, the offer is held forth. The problem is man in his sin never wants to. So this is a decision made possible by regeneration. This is a decision that will only be embraced by those who are born again. But nonetheless, it is still right to say, it is a decision. It is a decision. Three things we can say about this decision. First of all, it's a decision regarding the past. A decision regarding the past. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. What does that mean, to deny yourself? can't follow Jesus without denying yourself. I have to say that as I read this week, I think too many commentators overload what Jesus says here. They go to the rest of the New Testament, they gather up everything the Bible teaches about discipleship, and they want to load it into this statement. And I'm not saying there's nothing legitimate about that. No, no doubt what Jesus calls for here is then explained and further elucidated throughout the New Testament. Some want to psychologize it. But I think the statement is actually very simple, straightforward, concrete, but profoundly demanding. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means a willingness to choose against the life that you have known. Will you leave behind the life that you have known? Will you renounce an old life? Will you turn from who you have been by nature to receive what belongs to a new life 
in Jesus Christ. Who you have been in Adam, now you must deny, turn from, renounce to receive a new life in Jesus Christ. Do you want the Lord to change you? Do you want the Lord to transform you? Do you want the Lord to make you someone you could never be without Him? Without salvation, without forgiveness, without, without the new birth? Do you, do you desire to be delivered from who you have been since you were born? William Hendrickson said this, to deny oneself means to renounce the old self the self as it is apart from regenerating grace. A person who denies himself gives up all reliance on whatever he is by nature and depends for salvation on God alone. See, it's not just leaving behind my old life, it's leaving behind my old hopes. What I hoped would save me, what I was relying on, what I was depending on, what I would glory in and boast in. We sang about that tonight. I renounce all of that and say that I need Jesus to save me. Hendrickson goes on to say, he no longer seeks to promote his own predominantly selfish interests, but has become wrapped up in the cause of promoting the glory of God in his own and in every life and also in every sphere of endeavor. The best commentary on Matthew 16.24 is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. Faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Hendrickson ends by saying, denying self means subjecting oneself to Christ's discipline. My old ways, my old hopes... My old way of thinking about the center of my existence is no longer about me, for me, to promote me, to exalt me. I embrace Christ and I live for His glory. That's what it means to deny yourself. James Montgomery Boyce said this, when we think about what it means to deny oneself, we are at once brought to the radical distinction between a God-oriented life and a life of unrepentant self-seeking or sin. Self-seeking is the opposite of self-denial. And the problem with self-seeking is that it has been the essence of sin from the beginning. Close quote. What is my old life but a self-centered life? A life of selfish interests where no matter what I said with my mouth, what it really becomes in practice is about me. It's always about me. But come to Christ and it won't be about you. It's a God-centered existence. It's a Christ-centered existence. Have you ever known this transformation where you went from a self-centered existence to a Christ-centered existence? So to deny oneself is to turn from a life with self at the center in order to embrace a new life which will put Jesus at the center. But notice the decision involves something else. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. A decision regarding the past, that's the old self, a decision regarding the now and the future. And again, the statement Jesus makes, 
It's actually very simple, straightforward, concrete. Nobody living in the first century had any problem understanding what it meant to take up your cross. If you lived in the Roman world, you knew what it meant to take up your cross. That is, you must be willing to die. You must forsake your old life and follow Jesus regardless of the cost, even if it means you die. John MacArthur said to take up one's cross is simply to be willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. It is the willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for His sake. To the people of Jesus' day, the cross was a very concrete and vivid reality. It was the instrument of execution reserved for Rome's worst enemies. Will I follow Jesus no matter what it would cost me? Can I tell you, I really believe this. I said it earlier. Whether this is real in your life or not, it doesn't await a martyrdom. It's on display by how you're living right now. To say you would die for Jesus when you won't live for Jesus is a denial on its face. Don't tell me you'll die for Jesus if you won't die to your own ways right now in your life. R.T. France did a great job of bringing these two ideas together, denying oneself and taking up your cross. Listen to what he writes. He says in the context of chapter 16, the literal application of Jesus' words is now brought into focus. In such a context, deny himself must not be trivialized into a call for a mild asceticism. It means to renounce his right to life. This sort of discipleship is not the result of an easy compliance, but of a deliberate and irrevocable decision. We used to sing about it, didn't we? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I will follow. Have you made that decision? A decision regarding the past, a decision regarding now and the future... But notice all of this is a decision regarding a person. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. To what end? To what end? And follow me. See, this is personal. Renounce the old life, embrace a new life because we desire to come after him. As he said in the beginning of the verses we've read. Does anyone desire to follow me, to come after me? That's what this is. It's following Jesus. Turn from my former life to follow Jesus. Be willing to lose my life to follow Jesus. Personal. And this is eternal life. To know the Son of God. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. No one knows God who hasn't lost their life to Him. Who hasn't regarded knowing Him to be of more value and worth than anything this world could offer you. No one knows God who hasn't done the math and said, you know what is most valuable in the whole world? Jesus. No one knows God who hasn't lost their life to Jesus. 
And in fact, one of the great evidences that you really have eternal life is that it is about Jesus. It's personal. There's a relationship. There's fellowship. You're going to meet a lot of people in this world who don't know Jesus but are very serious about religion. Did you know there are people very serious about their religion who don't know Christ? There are Roman Catholics who have walked up steps on their knees in the interest of somehow paying off a sin debt, but they don't know Jesus. There are people who will go to great lengths of suffering even, reenacting crucifixions in some cases and things of that nature. They're serious about their religion. They are sincere about their religion, but they don't know Christ. People serious about their traditions. People serious about their friendships. The best friendships I've ever had are in the church, they would say. And Oh, how I love our church because I love all of our friendships. Is this about religion for you? Is this about tradition for you? Is this about friendships for you? Or is this about Christ? Do you know Christ? So that you can say if no one else follows, I'm going. I'm going to follow. So, we see this decision. Is the requirement to fulfill the desire? Do you wish to come after me? Then this is what is required. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. And you must follow me. Third thing we see. We see the certainty attached to this requirement. You have the decision, you have the requirement, now you see a certainty attached to that requirement. Verse 25, 4. Here's why this is, is a demand. It's necessary. It's a non-negotiable because whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I said a moment ago that this is about Jesus you see evidence of that even in this explanation, verse 25, because notice that the losing of the life, Jesus says, is for my sake. For my sake. Hold on to your life now, life as you have known it, life as you've always lived it, a life with you at the center, with worldly ambitions and pleasures and goals and treasures, and you're going to lose your life in the end. But lose your life now, and you're going to know what real life is. You're going to find it, but you're not going to find it just for a time. You're going to find it for forever. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And it is all about Jesus, for my sake, for my sake. And as I said, this is supernatural. When was it in your life that you lost your life to have the life that's found in him? When was it that you saw your old life as something to be ditched, disregarded, left behind, and you saw the promise of new life in Christ, and it was about Christ, so that you would follow Him on His terms? He would not just be your Savior. He would be the Lord of your life. He would take possession of your life. He would be the master over your life. When did that happen? For you, supernatural. Didn't happen for you until there was the new birth. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand 
that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So you have a desire, you have a requirement, you have a reality, a certainty that has to do with that requirement. If you don't lose your life, you're going to lose it forever. But if you lose your life in the present, for Christ's sake, you're going to find it forever. This is the fourth and final thing we see in our verses, verse 26, the valuation that informs a wise decision. Will you make this decision? Well, not without the right standard of, of evaluation, the right standard of worth. Verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is what the new birth has allowed us to see. We've been given a new set of eyes. As a result, we have a new standard of evaluating worth. So that we understand, if I could gain the whole world, but I die without Christ, I've lost everything. Contemplate that for a moment. Gaining the whole world. What would that be? Think about possessions. Think about relationships. Think about reputation. Think about power, influence. Think about health, vibrancy. If you had it all, everything the world has to offer you, but you don't have Christ, you've lost everything. You've lost your soul. Do you ever envy the wicked? Do you look at the people who have what you don't have? Do you profess to know Jesus, but you find yourself perpetually discontent? You say you have Christ, but there's an unhappiness that runs through your life perpetually. Dissatisfaction because you don't have what you don't, what, what you think you deserve, what, what you wish would be the case. You don't have it, and so you, you're dissatisfied. Dear one, if you know Jesus, I pray that God would grant you ISAV, that you would lose that attitude and realize when God gave you his son, he gave you the whole world and all the worlds besides. You can have more than you have in Jesus. What do you need? You need Him. And if you had the whole world without Him, you'd have nothing. But our Lord brings it down to, to an even more sobering level when He says at the end of verse 26, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See, here's the sad reality. If you had the whole world but didn't have Christ, you have nothing. But there are people selling their souls for less than the whole world. What are you selling your soul for? What do men and women sell their soul for? And know this, whatever it is that stands between you and surrender to Christ, that's what you're selling your soul for. I can't follow Christ because of this relationship. Well, you've just sold your soul for that relationship. I can't follow Christ because of a job or a title or money. 
or influence. Well, you've just sold your soul for that. I can't follow Christ because of this enjoyment, this pleasure. Then you've just sold your soul for that. What is your soul worth? What would you sell your soul for? And when the new birth happens, when someone is really regenerated, the scales fall off the eyes, and they see Christ. And this is what 2 Corinthians 4 describes. The glory of God in the face of His Son Jesus. You see in Christ everything anyone could ever desire. The pearl of great price. The treasure hidden in the field. So that you would sell everything you possess to have that one great treasure so that no one or nothing would stand between you and following Him. Do you desire to follow me? To come after me? This, this was the question. Matthew 10.37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. it. Saddens me to watch people who profess to know Jesus, willing to disobey Jesus in the interest of something they think will satisfy them. You know this is what explains divorce. To walk away from your spouse when you know it displeases Christ because you think you're going to find something in divorce that you don't find in your marriage. When what you ought to be finding in your marriage is what you find in Christ. If your marriage is difficult, Christ is there. If it's a great joy, the joy you have in that person doesn't outshine the joy you have in Christ. Why is it that people fall to the temptations of sin? Because sin promises you some pleasure, some treasure that the devil would tell you you can't find in obedience to Christ. So it's not just the professed lost person out there that needs to hear these words. Jesus is saying this to his professed followers. Will you follow me? Will you come after me? Because to come after me demands that you deny yourself. And you take up your cross, and then you walk in my steps. The old life is old. It's gone. The new life is forever. And at the center of that new life, the very motivating zeal for that new life is Christ Himself. For my sake. Will you lose your life for my sake, Jesus says so that it's not just Jesus who must die at Jerusalem to save His people from their sins. Everyone who follows Jesus must die to receive the life that Jesus died to give us. Have you ever died to live? Have you ever known life on the other side of the loss of who you used to be? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for setting what belongs to this new life before us in such clear terms.
the voice of our Savior, the words that He spoke. We meet with false gospels all around that would promise the treasure of Christ without the loss of the old self. No mention of repentance. No mention of the need to turn from sin. The promise of some sort of everlasting bliss without the recognition of the poverty of the world as it is. Thank You, Lord, for granting to us, Your people, the eyes to see the inestimable worth of Jesus so that He is to us and is in truth the pearl of great price. For granting to us a desire to put away the old life and to embrace new life in Him. Whatever it costs us, whatever it means to follow Him, even to the point of losing our life physically, we recognize the great grace that even holds forth that possibility for us so that by Your grace we decide to follow Your Son. Thank You, Lord, that even then, when our faith is weak and at times we find ourselves struggling with that right, that proper sense of worth, even then, Lord, You don't let go of us. But You keep bringing us back to open our eyes afresh and anew you do grant eye salve so that we can see and recognize the error of our ways and have a renewal of what we knew in the beginning. That we would give it all to Your Son, knowing that He is our all in all. Bless this, Lord, to our minds and hearts. Let this affect our tonight and tomorrow and the rest of our lives. Lead us in a way where Jesus is preeminent in our own estimation. We ask this in Jesus' name.